Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Folklore Podcast. I'm Mark Norman, folklore researcher and author. And today, it's a return after quite some time to an episode of the podcast which is just me. My own scribblings, my own voice, my own thoughts. Maybe it's a welcome return. After all, it goes back to the show's first principles. Maybe... After listening, you'll wish that we had guests back sooner. Email me, thefolklorepodcast at gmail.com, or tweet me at folklorepod, and let me know. This is your show. I'm planning on writing more of my own episodes again this season, but only if you want them. The word simulacrum has a Latin root and it means a likeness or semblance of something else. The word first emerges in the English language in the 16th century, where it has a particular reference to a representation of a god, or otherwise some other important person. But later, the word goes on to refer to lesser impressions of things, maybe without the importance or the superiority of the original. For many people, there is another way of looking at a simulacrum which is somewhat outside of this ordinary interpretation. If you are a regular reader of Fortean Times magazine, then you'll no doubt be familiar with their regular simulacra features, showcasing photographs of objects which unintentionally look like other things. Possibly the most well-known of this sort of simulacrum harks back to the original intent of representing a deity. Because when most people think of these examples of unintentional representation or iconography, they go back to the original religious overtones and suggest the face of Jesus appearing in various unexpected places. A water stain, a slice of toast the rear end of a Jack Russell Terrier. Christ really has popped up all over the place. To the believer, images of Jesus in food or in other places have a miraculous origin. To others, they're just an example of pareidolia, our inbuilt sensitivity to seeing faces in patterns around us. As a folklorist, it should not matter to us the reason for the image appearing the meaning of that image to the observer and how it's interpreted culturally should be what's important. This cultural filter is important because, of course, images are not just of Christian symbols. The same phenomenon can happen in other faiths too. In the case of the Muslim faith, it's more common to see representations of Arabic script, the word Allah, or passages from the Quran than it is pictorial representation. Like any other aspect of folklore which relies on symbols, the image is neutral until a cultural meaning is ascribed to it. This cultural mediation gives the image life, and it may dictate whether it's quickly forgotten or whether it lingers. Arguably, the mimetic nature of modern technology Social mediation and sharing means that an image will stand more chance of longevity than it used to when it just appeared in newspapers or magazines. 
Caution has to be exercised, of course, because an enterprising opportunist will be always ready to jump on an idea to make a fast buck. In 2010, toasters were created which could deliberately scorch the images of Jesus and the Virgin Mary onto bread as it toasted. Religious simulacra are not the only ones to go viral, of course. Sometimes other shapes can hit the headlines, and this has happened recently with something that's actually been around for longer than many people realise. Because doing the rounds on social media and in the tabloid news recently has been the Chicago Rat Hole. The Chicago Rat Hole is a hole, shaped like a rat. No surprises there. It can be found on the sidewalk, or the pavement if you're a UK listener, of West Roscoe Street in the neighbourhood of Roscoe Village, Chicago, one of 77 neighbourhood areas of the city. And it was just last month, as I prepare this episode, that's January of 2024, that the rat hole became big, metaphorically speaking, on social media, thanks to being tweeted by Chicago comedian Winslow Germain. Despite its newfound fame in 2024, the Chicago rat hole is actually not that new. It's said to have been in place since around the turn of the 21st century. It's even been the mascot of a local softball team for five years or so. It's also not hugely likely that the rat hole was made by a rat. Many people believe, and the idea is backed up by a director at Chicago's Lincoln Park Zoo, that the hole was actually formed when a squirrel fell from a tree into wet concrete. It has been theorised by someone local to the area that there was an oak tree which used to grow close to this pavement, but has since been felled. Since the tweeting of the Chicago rat hole image and its subsequent viral spread, the site has become something of a site of pilgrimage for many. Now this should be no great surprise when we look at other famous spots in the landscape that have developed in the same way, such as roadside graves, lovelock bridges and other places which invite informal offerings that lead to such contemporary assemblages. These practices are not without their inherent problems, of course. Often, these are due to environmental factors. The attaching of fairy doors to living trees can easily cause disease and damage. The tying of clouties to trees at sacred sites can be problematic if the offerings used are not biodegradable. The hammering of coins into trees has similar issues. Not so bad when the tree is fallen and dead, perhaps, but they aren't always. The increase in people leaving offerings at the rat hole has had similar problems. There is a worry that people leaving edible gifts, such as cheese, will encourage other, more living rodents to visit the site. One social media user posted a video of someone pouring Malut, a famous Chicago alcohol, into the hole, which could have proven dangerous for animals such as dogs who may have drunk from it. Another photo shows an unlabeled pack of small blue pills left at the site. Local residents seem to have come together to form an informal rotor of workers to clear offerings away each day to try and prevent any danger. 
At the same time, the number of people visiting the rat hole has also caused a problem for those same residents in terms of noise and disruption, and there have been pleas made to be respectful of the people who live there. At one point, somebody appeared to take matters into their own hands and filled the hole in with wet cement, but this was soon removed by others and the hole was restored to its original ratty glory. There has been some discussion of the slab being removed from the area, preserved in its current form and relocated somewhere more appropriate, such as the nearby museum. But opinion seems to be divided on whether or not this is a good idea, and so at the moment nothing has been done. The hope is that after the viral nature of the social media post runs its course, then the number of visitors will drop and things will return to how they were before the tweet went out. Comparison has been drawn with another Chicago simulacra where this was the case, known as Our Lady of the Underpass. This was a salt stain that had formed the image of the Virgin Mary on the wall beneath the Kennedy Expressway at Fullerton Avenue. It was noticed in 2005, and it also became a site of pilgrimage, only this time mostly with people from the Catholic community. There was an initial flurry of news coverage and interest, but it soon died away. Notable events have recently taken place at the Chicago Rat Hole, including both an engagement and a wedding, and in early 2024, residents had the chance to vote on submitted names for the hole, which had been sent in to the Lakeview Roscoe Village Chamber of Commerce. The winner was Splattertooey. The publicity surrounding the Chicago rat hole got me thinking about other types of folklore that we might find associated with roads in this way. Now I'm not thinking about broader folklore of trackways or paths such as corpse roads or crossroads burials or phantom hitchhikers. I'm thinking here of the more unusual and obscure interactions between people and the physical environment of the road that we might deem to be a kind of folk art or installation. A couple of examples came to mind as they'd been sent to me by students on my online folklore courses that I tutor. If you want to know more about studying folklore with me, by the way, then you can visit the Learn for Pleasure website at www.learnforpleasure.com where you can find details and sign up for courses with me in introductory and intermediate British folklore. Anyhow, both of the examples that I've been sent involved folk interaction and road damage. Potholes are a constant source of discussion in local news discussion groups and newspapers where I live, and across the UK, and undoubtedly wherever you happen to live as well. Cuts to funding for councils combined with poor weather conditions over the last couple of years and probably many other factors have led to some roads being difficult to tell apart from Swiss cheese. Although, to be fair, most roads aren't generally yellow, but you get the idea. Back in 2022, singer Rod Stewart became as viral as the Chicago rat hole, at least here in the UK, by filming himself and some other local residents fixing the potholes in their road themselves with concrete. Whilst the local council subsequently dug the concrete back out, 
because you aren't allowed to just fill holes in with any old material like that, the point was made, and it wasn't too long before the road past Rod's house had been completely resurfaced. The council noted that it was on their schedule of works before the singer posted his video. Whether that is the case or not is down to you to decide for yourselves on an individual basis. I couldn't possibly comment. It's become kind of traditional to try and encourage councils to fill particularly bad potholes recently by going out at night and spray painting an enormous phallic symbol around them. Sometimes it's worked very well, but there are also some quite long-standing fallacies to be seen, if that's the right way of phrasing it. Maybe not. But there have been some more innovative methods employed by people which are very much in the folk art tradition recently. The term pothole is generally said to derive from the Middle English word pot, which means a deep hole or a hollow. So that kind of makes them hole holes. But folklore also suggests some other versions, as it often does. The oldest of these is probably the suggestion that the word comes from the Roman Empire some 3,000 years ago. The Romans were notable in history for their road-building skills, and it was said that the famously long straight roads were often compromised by potters, who would dig out clay and take it away in order to fashion pots. Hence, potholes. The only real problem with this idea is that Roman road builders did not use clay. If you examine a cross-sectional diagram of a Roman road, you'll see that the foundation comprises a mortar, which is made from sand and lime. And on top of this, there would be a course of stones, followed by one of smaller pebbles, and then on top of that, sand, topped off with a roadway of slabs. Not particularly conducive to throwing pots. A number of people have used artistic methods of alerting people to potholes. One of the earliest was Londoner Steve Ween, who became known as the Pothole Gardener, and has a website under that name if you want to look at some nice photos. More than ten years ago now, as part of a Masters in Design studied at Central St Martins, Steve created miniature garden installations in potholes. He only worked on holes in pavements, for safety reasons, but photographs of his installations ended up being gathered together and published in a book, the Little Book of Little Gardens. Steve's art in the landscape began to inspire others to do the same, and people began sending in photos of their own whole gardens, which he used to publish on his website, and some can still be viewed in blog posts on there. The pothole gardens that Steve created were fleeting. They existed only as long as for them to be photographed, and then they were removed again. As inspiration, Steve used the practice of guerrilla gardening, where people go into disadvantaged community spaces, abandoned properties and land, and other untended areas under cover of darkness, and they plant them up, with flowers, shrubs, and other plants. Sometimes where this isn't possible, guerrilla gardeners might fill balloons with seeds and throw them into scrubland or over fences so that the balloons explode and scatter seed around liberally. The principle is the same as yarn bombing. It's about reclaiming sterile spaces in the landscape. A number of artists, both professional and amateur, 
have taken to decorating potholes in different ways. One notable one in the UK is a pensioner from the London borough of Bromley, Tim Webb, who's been creating miniature dioramas in potholes in his area, photographing them in a similar way to Steve Ween's pavement gardens. Tim's efforts have been highlighted in many newspapers across the world, and his photos are often accompanied by amusing captions, such as the one of a flying saucer in the bottom of a hole with the tagline, The aliens have landed, and due to their advanced navigation system, which uses craters, they mistook the craters here for the craters on their own planet. And one containing a Playmobil rock band, complete with miniature speakers, which was named Whole Lot of Love after the Led Zeppelin track. Tim has a good Facebook page for his installations, and they are well worth a look. There is another quite new form of folk art which is starting to spread more widely in recent years. This one is aimed not so much at highlighting defects that need repairing, but rather at effecting a repair in an artistic manner. This is a practice known as flacking. Flacking is a form of reparative street art where cracks or holes are filled in with mosaic tiles and majolica. It takes as its inspiration the Japanese form kintsugi, or golden joinery, where broken pottery is mended using a lacquer, which is mixed with powdered gold, or sometimes platinum or silver. The term comes from the French word flac, meaning puddle, which was chosen by the original creator, who uses the pseudonym MMM, because the finished pieces resemble a puddle of colour. MMM is a street artist based in Lyon. They work a little like Banksy in the United Kingdom, creating their artworks at night when there's nobody to witness them, and being equally as anonymous. They refuse all requests for interviews, either in person or on the radio or television, and they've not disclosed either their age or their gender publicly. Both MMM and Banksy work to enliven and improve damaged canvases in the landscape. The first piece of flacking which can be attributed to MMM was created in 2011 in Lyon. By 2016, they were creating pieces in many areas of France and have since confirmed artworks in Spain, Italy, Norway, the United Kingdom and as far away as Australia. Flacking has since been taken up and been performed by other artists, including, to bring us background to the rat hole, Jim Bakor, who specialises in using ancient art techniques to produce modern mosaics. Now, he's filled a number of potholes in Chicago, as well as being commissioned to produce legitimate works, such as ones for the Chicago Transit Authority and at Nike's store in the city. Cracks in our roads and pavements intersect with folklore in another way too, which is very well known, and that is into the realm of superstition. It's bad luck, many say, to step on the cracks in the pavement. This superstition seems to stem from an old children's rhyme. Step on a crack, break your mother's back. Step on a line, break your mother's spine, says one version. One theory put forward for this centres around cracks on the ground being portals to another realm, 
to step on one could summon something from the realm of the supernatural. There is, however, a more likely 19th century origin which has unfortunate roots in our racist past. This was a kind of marriage prediction, but we don't need to dwell on the obvious connection. The full rhyme, incidentally, is probably Step on a crack, you'll break your mother's back. Step on a line, you'll break your father's spine. Step in a ditch, your mother's nose will itch. Step in the dirt, you'll tear your father's shirt. You may know another variant. If you do, please let me know. The same superstition which extends to cracks can also be found in man-made road furniture too. In 2014, a driver in Sweden was reported to the police for driving erratically. The person making the call assumed that they'd been drinking, but this was not the case. When the police pulled the car over and spoke with the driver, it transpired that they'd been swerving the car in order to avoid driving over manhole covers which had the letter A stamped on them. In the 1980s, it was a common superstition in some areas of Sweden that manhole covers that were marked in this way should not be trodden on, because it would invite bad luck. Conversely, stepping on a manhole cover that was marked with a K brought good fortune. Field research that was subsequently carried out to poll members of the public about these superstitions showed that many people remembered such things from their childhood, and that the superstitions figured more largely amongst women than men. Quite a number of people still avoided stepping on certain manhole covers, not because they actively believed in the superstition, but almost habitually, or because it seemed like a good idea, much as many of us still avoid walking under ladders or salute magpies. The meaning of the letters marked on Swedish manholes varies in terms of superstitious belief, but then again it can also vary in terms of the real-life meaning, depending on the area of the country that the manholes are found in as well. Although it's common for A covers to be unlucky, and for K covers to be lucky, other meanings of cover markings seem to vary culturally, depending on particular aspects of life that might be worrying or divisive at the time. These meanings were more often than not ascribed by younger people, who are often more likely to interact with such pieces of law. During the health scare of the 1980s and into the 1990s, for example, the A came to be seen to resemble AIDS and also anal sex, reflecting the tensions of the time through dark playground humour. As with many pieces of superstitious law which can invite bad luck, there is usually a way to reverse the damage if it's caught in time. Examples from the Swedish manhole cover beliefs include patting yourself on the back three times, or clapping if you inadvertently trod on an A cover. The good luck bringing K covers seems to have fewer variants than the A covers, but this should be no great surprise. Apart from it being easy to accept good luck in any form, rather than needing to specify different types of bad luck to try and avoid it, it's obviously also the case that in terms of vocabulary, both in English and in Swedish, there are far fewer words which begin with a K, which might be used for the superstition, 
then there are words that begin with an A. These manhole cover superstitions seem to have been very particular to Sweden. Now, it would be interesting to know whether there are similar parallels where you come from, so do please get in touch and let me know if there are. You can email thefolklorepodcast at gmail.com or reach out on social media with your stories. Here in the UK, there are some less involved versions, for example. Steve Roud has noted that some people see it as unlucky to walk across three manhole covers in a row. Again, there seem to be some superstitious counter-protections to doing this. Variously, to spit on the last cover that you walked over, or if walking over a triumvirate of covers in quick succession, then walking backwards over them again until reaching the first cover and then going around them. The triple cover belief seems to also have been found in Russia as well. There were areas of Russia where stepping on a manhole cover would foreshadow the death of your mother. This seems to have at least some tangential connection to the step on a crack playground rhyme. Incidentally, manhole covers have a very long history. But whereas the idea of the pothole coming from Roman roads is a myth, the first manhole covers genuinely do come from this time. When engineers in the Roman Empire began to construct aqueducts, they were transporting clean water into cities and townships, but also moving dirty wastewater away from the area. At this time, stone or wooden covers were sometimes placed in areas where access or observation points were needed for watercourses, and these were the first manhole covers. One myth to be found about manhole covers which seems to persist is that a manhole cover was the first man-made object to go into space. This is not true. The first man-made object which was deemed to have reached space by passing a point around 100 kilometres above the Earth was a German rocket. But it is quite possible that a manhole cover was the second man-made object to reach space. In August 1957, the US was carrying out underground nuclear tests which were codenamed Operation Plumbob. A deep shaft was constructed in the Nevada desert, and this was capped with a steel manhole cover which weighed just under a metric tonne. This was welded into place. A nuclear bomb was then detonated at the bottom of the shaft, in an effort to try and record the forces which took place during such a blast. The cover was not designed to prevent the blast from escaping. The intention was always that the cover was blown from the top of the shaft. Engineers thought that by filming this, they'd be able to calculate the power of the detonation. To this end, they installed a high-speed camera at the surface, which was capable of recording one frame per millisecond. The detonation took place, and on viewing the resulting film, they discovered that the manhole cover appeared to just broach one frame of the film, and then was gone. In other words, in one one one-thousandth of a second, it had passed the camera's field of view. The resultant speed of the manhole cover as it left the surface of the Earth was calculated at 240,000 kilometres per hour. 
This should be a sufficient escape velocity to reach the Kármán line, the theoretical point above the planet at which space begins. Most scientists would tell you that an iron cover travelling at this speed would break apart or would burn up before it ever reached the Kármán line. But it might be nice, just for a while, to entertain the notion that somewhere out there, in the upper reaches of the atmosphere, a lone manhole cover is boldly going where no manhole cover has gone before. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Folklore Podcast, taking a look at some of the folk art and folk beliefs associated with our roads. This has been the first episode of the show that I've written and narrated for some time, so I hope you enjoyed it. If you're a long-time listener, maybe it was a bit of a trip down memory lane to the early seasons of the show. So, do please feedback and let me know your thoughts. Would you like more of these shows writing where I examine different aspects of our folk belief or tradition? Do you have ideas for topics that you'd like to see covered, if so? Email me, thefolklorepodcast at gmail.com, and let me know. There will be another episode of the podcast along soon, which will feature another of our guest interviews recorded over the last few weeks. In the meantime, I'm about to head off to this year's UK Ghost Story Festival at the Museum of Making in Derby. I'll be chairing a panel on dark folklore and interviewing a couple of the special guests at the event, including past guest of this podcast, Amy Jeffs. But I'll also be getting together to record some chats with other festival guests and participants to feature on future episodes of the podcast, in bonus content or on our Patreon. Speaking of which, if you'd like to help us to keep producing content through 2024, and especially to be able to write more episodes such as this one, do please consider signing up for access to our Patreon page. It only costs a pound a month at the basic level, although you can obviously choose higher levels, and the extra content and rewards that you receive are tailored to the level you sign up to. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash thefolklorepodcast. If you don't want to sign up to a regular commitment, but you do want to show a little support at this time, then you can please visit our website at thefolklorepodcast.com, where you'll find a donation button on the very first landing page, which you can use to send us a little tip, to say thanks and to help us to keep going. If you can't do any of that, then please just share the show with your friends, relatives, enemies, anybody you like, really, uh, and give us a good review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, whatever it's called these days, or anywhere else where you listen to the show. I'll be making some updates to other areas of the website soon, too, to add live events for 2024, including a 10-day trip to America for a number of talks organised by Crossed Crow Books for whom I'm currently writing. So, head to Chicago in May to catch me live. More details coming soon. You could visit the rat hole while you're there. Thanks for listening. Drop me an email with your thoughts, your folklore news, or just to say hi, and I'll see you next time on The Folklore Podcast. <laughs>